Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Get out of the big city and experience a construction zone free test drive. There is such a thing. It's episode four of season two, the Standing By podcast. I'm Terry DeMonte. Hi, that's Ted Bird. How do you do? I do well, Atta sir. Boy. How are you? Well, you know. Are you enjoying my visit to Montreal, Mr. I'm Bird? enjoying it very much. We've uh, <laughs> we've been making the rounds. Yes. And today, uh, we went up and visited our title sponsors, yes. Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Every time Terry comes in from out of town to record the podcast, I always use that as an excuse to say to them, hey, you know, what if I take one of your cars and drive Terry all around town in it and we'll post on social media and talk about it on the podcast? Yes. And they go... Okay. No, they don't do that. Adrian, their marketing lady, is very generous and forthcoming. And uh, this particular uh, time around, she set us up with a Land Rover Discovery Sport. There's an elegance to this vehicle, Ted. There's an absolute elegance to this vehicle. But uh, much like the Defender that we drove during Season 1, uh, I'm going to need to spend about 30 hours in a flight simulator <laughs> to figure out how to operate everything. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, a lot to learn on these vehicles. I mean, you still put it in drive, and away you go, and the blinkers are in the same place, and the <laughs> headlights, and all the rest of it. But uh, modern technology in cars is uh, it's something else. Well, and this thing's got all the bells and whistles. That's where the great staff there will come in handy. They're so friendly there. This morning, as soon as we walked in, we got a big smile and a nice coffee, and you'll get the same kind of treatment we do if you head up there. JaguarLaval.ca and LandRoverLaval.ca. Like everyone else in these times, they're experiencing supply chain issues, but you can still go up and shop for a new car and order a new car, or you can go into the uh, pre-owned CPO, they call it, certified pre-owned showroom, and they get some nice vehicles in there as well. And uh, if you buy a certified pre-owned Jaguar or Land Rover, from Jaguar Land Rover Laval. They bring it back up to spec and sell it to you with the original warranty, 160,000 kilometers. They do it right. They do it right. And we're proud to have them back as a title sponsor uh, for uh, season two. Um, as we discussed in previous seasons, I'm now a uh, resident of British Columbia. And, um, you know, I uh, got retired and uh, thought it was time for a new chapter. So uh, that's where we are. So you, you, you get to relive and, and, and when you come back to visit, re-enjoy some of the quote unquote joys of living in Montreal. And um, we experienced one today. Ted said, why don't we go up and see our old friend, uh, Laughing George at Cafe Camaritza on Fairmont. Fairmont is where I talked about this all the time on the radio. I refer to it as the million calorie march. You start, <laughs> if you if you come into town, you, you start at Walensky's and then you walk from Walensky's and you can either go 
um, and have a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, ice cream cone at uh, Kemkoba. Uh, or you can go to uh, Dragaria Fina and uh, get some of the unbelievable homemade gnocchi and move down from there and then go to the bagel place. I was going to say, there's got to be bagels there's along ba- that route. Yeah, there's, you, you go into uh, the bagel spot, and, and then you go down from there. You can stop and get some unbelievable sausage and a uh, nice steak at Chez Vito, and then you stop at Cafe Caminitza, and you have Bugazza, and then you get a wheelbarrow, and somebody <laughs> will take you home. <laughs> that Bugazza, laughing. George, Laughing George used to bring the Bugatsa to the radio station yeah. when we worked at Shelm, yeah. and that is that's the best dessert God. I've I've ever had. Yeah. And Poseidon, who's our producer, you've got you must be familiar with Bugatsa, the Greek dessert, obviously. Oh, of course, it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's fucking good. delicious. Oh, Do you have God. a favorite Bugatsa place or a person who makes your favorite Bugatsa? Like, does anyone in your family make it? Your mom, your yaya? No, it's a little complicated to make. Yeah. Uh, oh. But I don't really have a, a favorite place. Like everywhere, well, it's, everywhere you go, it's let, fucking let me fantastic. recommend Caminitza. When yeah. we went in yeah. there this morning, Adriana had just taken them out of the oven. Adriana or Antoinetta? I thought it was Adriana. I thought it was Antoinetta. Now look, what I'm sure done. she'll appreciate. But, but the, the rule, the rule is the fresher the better. So yeah, yeah. well, this was yeah, right out of the oven. It was, it was still warm, yeah. unbelievable. And unbelievable. how would you describe it? It's custard inside a flaky, yeah, phyllo pastry crust. Yeah, yeah it's phyllo pastry yeah, with and powdered cin- sugar on top and, and cinnamon. cinnamon. Yeah, yeah. The, cin- the cinnamon and the custard is like <laughs> you can hear yourself getting fatter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of the things uh, I struggle with because. You, you, know, you come to town and you say, well, you know, i got to be careful. And, <laughs> and as you said, it's one of the great joys yeah. of, of coming well, back. And you, you know, our, our, my old friend Leslie Chesterman said this all the time, still says it on Twitter, is it's really, without the restaurants, man, Montreal would be in trouble. Without the, with the, without the international reputation of the food here, and it's really part of what makes it great because, you know, the other parts, like driving on the Met, dodging the orange yeah. cones, and today we dropped yeah. on the boulevard <laughs> in Westbound, and I thought my teeth were going to come out. The richest neighborhood yeah. in the country, yeah, and the just, roads are a mess. And that fucking road has been like that <laughs> for years and years and years and years. And I lived in Westmount uh, for a couple of chapters in my Montreal run, and uh, I paid the tax bill on those homes in Westmount. So somebody knock on the door, <laughs> tell them to repave the boulevard. But I also wonder if it's even if there's even a point to it because the roads are such a mess in Montreal. And when you when you leave the city, like when you go to other jurisdictions, I know in BC we have the climate on our side, but yeah. man, but it's even jarring. even when you go from when you cross the border from Quebec into Ontario, yes. Yes. like it's noticeable. Yep. It goes from gliggity gliggity gliggity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, literally, there's it's literally noticeable Ted when you picked, cross the border. Ted picked me up at the train, and uh, we, as soon as we got into his car, he was telling me I just had, just he was telling me he just had the set suspension redone. We hit a massive pothole, and I thought to myself, how are we? How are we ever? I, I don't know. It's say le plus ça change, yeah. as as they say. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is, hey, hotels. <laughs> I got a surprise for you. Yesterday, I went back to my hotel after being out of, out of it all day. Now, I must, I must give a caveat to this story. I'm not staying at the Ritz. 
You know, normally when my wife and I travel, we like to travel and spend a little bit of extra money and stay in a nice hotel. Now that I'm retired and I'm here for the podcast, all I need is a clean crash. Yeah, pad. but you're also not staying at Chez Le Bibit. You're, no. you're staying at uh, an international yes. brand hotel yeah. that should have a respectable right. quality about it. Rhymes with Shlomo Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so I, I went yesterday, and I, I had booked a room from Monday to Saturday, and went yesterday, and they hadn't tended to the room. So I went downstairs, and I said, you know, housekeeping missed my room. Housekeeping? Oh, sir, you have to request housekeeping now that Fuck we're in COVID. And companies are using COVID for an excuse for everything. And I got a surprise for you. I'm not staying in a hotel for six nights, whether it's Shebebet or the Shlomo Hotel, you know, I, I think, I'm sure at the big hotels, you know, they haven't tried to do away with housekeeping to save money. But a lot of companies are using COVID to try and save money and think we don't notice. Using it as an excuse. Yes. Yeah. And I, I said to the, the woman, I said, you have to tell me now, the woman at the front desk, I said, you have to tell me now, if, if housekeeping isn't part of the deal for six nights, Tell me now, and I want my money back, and I'm leaving. And she said, no, no, we just have to write it down and make a special request. A special request. Yeah, a special request. To clean your room. To clean the room. And make your bed. Now, and I don't live like a pig. I don't. I'm a grown-ass man. I know how to look after myself. But that's one of the things about that COVID changed. You know, companies, I think, I believe, they recognized an opportunity to think, Oh, how much money could we save on daily housekeeping? And I uh, just wanted to get that out of my chest. Well, I think that was uh, that was well gotten off of your <laughs> chest. Listen, I I understand being frugal and I understand cutting corners and saving where you can. Yes. But when you're when your business is hospitality, yes. And you're cutting corners and saving money, but being less hospitable. Yeah, I think you're kind of defeating the purpose of the exercise. Yeah, I agree with that, and and uh, I'm also going to. I think um, if there is a season three, I'm going to rethink my um, my travel plans uh, because uh, perhaps it's time for me to uh, uh, consider maybe a little extra money in the hotel budget. Because I mean. I'm not there all day, right? I just I need a clean place to crash. That's you can it. stay at my place. All right, thanks. I got a I got one of those mattresses, the, uh-huh. one of those air mattresses that mm-hmm. you blow up, but there's a slow leak in it. Okay, so about two or three times during the <laughs> night, you got to turn it back on. <laughs> and it wakes up the whole building. <laughs> and um, is there any extra charge for the motorhead? The motorhead from yep. downstairs, yes. from Buddy downstairs. Yes. No, and uh, you get treated to that sometimes at ten or eleven oh. o'clock at night. He likes to crank up the Motorhead and mm-hmm. have a little Motorhead festival. Yeah. He's going to have a fucking Motorhead festival, all right. Motor- <laughs> I'll give you your Motorhead. <laughs> it's because um, Motorhead is, uh, is not for every man's taste. No, it's not. And I, I tried to impress upon him. This is my downstairs neighbor. Uh, he looks like a carny. He looks like the guy who would be running the... Uh, Tilt a whirl at the, at, right. at the you know the Bill Lynch Midway right. or whatever. There's a New Brunswick reference if ever there was one. Was the Bill Lynch Midway up here? Uh, no, okay. not that I recall. Anyway, he's uh, he likes to uh, he likes to lift weights and turn Motorhead up to eleven at any time of the day or night. Whatever, mostly night. Yeah, whatever's <laughs> convenient for him. 
And he's, and this is how loud he turns it up. He's not above me. He's underneath me. But the sound is still, like the sound comes up right into my bedroom. It's very courteous. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I suggested to him that uh, perhaps he might want to invest in some ear pods, uh-huh. headphones. Yes. It's, they're all the rage. Are they? No, the kids wear them. You see, <laughs> you see them going down the street, listening to the hipper and the hopper. <laughs> <laughs> with their little earphones. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he didn't seem too interested. So you know what I did last night? No. He put on uh, Motorhead, mm-hmm. and uh, so I got out of bed, and I put on my dress shoes, big heavy dress shoes, yep. and just started walking around the apartment. I, I'm going to suggest um, musical soundtracks. You know, the soundtrack to Mary Poppins, the soundtrack well, to Well, I've Frozen. done, yeah. One time. to go Well, yeah, except what I, I made the mistake of I put on my music really loud, but I picked music that he would probably like. Oh, okay. See, like that's... I put on, you know, I put on, uh, what was the band that uh, that, that Slash, Revol- Velvet Revolver. Yes. I yeah. put on some Velvet Revolver. Yeah. I put on some Van Halen. Yeah. But I think, you, I think you're on to something there. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe disco. He or, looks like the type of guy that disco would really piss him off. Got a suggestion for something? Or you can explain to him that a brand new set of uh, four winter tires are much more expensive than AirPods as well. Really? Why would I do that? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> no, well, because like... Price comparison. Yeah. Yes. Well, You're saying that AirPods are not expensive. Well, compared to four tires. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not expensive at all. Or I could I mean, beat like him if to death. Slash his tires. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Okay. <laughs> ah, I got it now. It's like a subtle threat. Yeah, it's like a subtle threat. I got it. <laughs> Are you experienced in that world? Okay. I know people. Very good. Yeah. I know you know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. I got a guy. <laughs> I got a guy. No, I think I would uh you know what I what I've I actually thought of your experience. With oh, your upstairs Jesus neighbors, I, but that was well taken. Can you tell that story? I think because I can. that was well taken care of. I think I can. Yeah, yeah. I was living in a duplex in in what is now a part of Montreal called Lachine, but back then it was Ville Saint Pierre. Uh, boring part of the story doesn't matter. Um, and I was in a duplex, so I was on the main floor, and I had a really lovely neighbor who lived upstairs. She was a very tiny woman who, you know, was quiet and didn't. The only thing I ever heard, she had one of those, you know, one of those trampolines, the ex- exercise yeah, trampolines. Yeah, yeah. And on the weekends, I would hear, you know, the, yeah. And one day she, uh, she moved out. She came downstairs to say goodbye. And I said, oh, you know, it's, you've been a lovely neighbor and da, 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 da. And the place stayed empty for maybe, I guess, a month or, or two. And um, then one night at around, uh, I guess, 11.30, and I, I, was, I was doing morning radio at the time, and, and my wake-up call was 4 o'clock or 4.30 in the, in the middle of the night. And at around 11.30, I could hear... And I thought to myself... Okay, that's really loud. <laughs> like I can hear Zeppelin singing. That means they've got it really loud. So I, I let it go, and the next night, sure enough, again, and not for an hour, not for ten minutes, all night long. So I called the landlord and I said, you know, these guys, this my new neighbor, and he said, well, there are three guys. I said, okay, and he said, um, 
He said, I don't think any of them work. I said, why did you rent them the apartment? He said, well, it's a long story, but, you know, I'll see if I can get them to be quiet. Went on for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks, every night, and every night it was Zeppelin. So I finally went up there. I knocked on the door, and they gave me the old, yeah, sure, man, we'll turn it down. And I went back downstairs, and they turned it up and had a good laugh. And I called the cops, and the cops said, I can't do anything for you. And every night for, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you, every night, night after night, Monday through Sunday, every single night, <laughs> they were a particular fan of Zeppelin. They liked every the immigrant song, did they? fucking night. <laughs> And, and so I moved my bed into the basement. I had a finished basement there. And all that did was, ah, it got a little. So I thought to myself, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I went upstairs, and I said, guys, and I yelled, you know, how many fucking times do I have to tell you? And they laughed at me and slammed the door in my face and told me to go fuck myself. So... A couple of days later, I'm having lunch with a guy, um, and he said, Christ, you look like shit. Are you okay? I said, I haven't slept in weeks. He said, what's wrong? I told him the story, and he said, uh, I can fix that for you. And I said, well, what do you mean you can fix that for you? He said, I, I got a guy. I got a guy for that. I said, what do you mean you got a guy for that? He said, well, do you, do you want your problem to go away or don't you? He said, you, you look like shit. You, you, you know, with your job, you're going to have to get some sleep. Anyway, long story longer, um, I went to meet with the guy. And I met him, in a, and it's just like in the movies. Just like in the movies. I met a guy, and he was sitting in the corner in a dark corner of a bar with a beer in front of him. And I extended my hand, and he didn't extend his, and he said to me, sit down. And I sat down, and he said, I hear you're having trouble. And I said, yeah. And he said, and now I'm, now I'm realizing what I've got myself into. Because let's just say that this guy didn't look like a salesman at Burke's. He was, he was a guy. You know who I'm picturing in my head? Mike from Better Call Saul. Yes. <laughs> so I explained it to him, and he said, um, yeah, I can make that go away for you. And um, I said, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, none of your fucking business. And I said, well, I, 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 you know, I was like, I don't want anybody to get hurt, <laughs> mister. <laughs> and he, he was saying, he, he said to me, you don't need to know what you don't need to know. And all I needed was $500. And I thought, that's a pretty good deal. And at the last minute, I thought to myself, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I thanked him and I left. I just thought to myself, I can't, I can't this this is how much this is how desperate I was. This is how this is how desperate you become when people laugh at you and they they laugh in your face and the no the authorities can't help you, the landlord couldn't help me. Well, I, you were helpless. I was helpless. Yeah. I was helpless and I was sleep deprived 
and I had no recourse. I didn't know what to do. And I came this close to dancing with the devil. And at the last minute, I thought, I, I can't, you know, because if you meet a guy about a thing, now the guy knows you and maybe he you become indebted to a guy with the thing. I, well, like, but for 500 bucks, he wasn't going to kill them, obviously. No, I, I don't know. Obviously not. But... It was unseemly, and it, and it you know, but that's I I would have been. <laughs> have you still got his number? <laughs> I got a job for him. Have you still got his I number? Just, I for the life of me, I thought to myself, it was so tempting because I could see that bastard's face, mm. you know, just before the door slammed, and him laughing at me, saying, "Go oh, fuck yourself," and slamming the door in my face, laughing at me. So, how did the situation eventually well, resolve itself? Did they, they didn't pay their rent? Oh, okay. So, see you later. <laughs> so yeah, they weren't there very long. And you know what? He when he the landlord said to me, "Come up, you know, come upstairs. I want to show you something." And it's it eventually it drove me out of that area. I ended up leaving there and moving out, and going into a house in Bay Durfe because I thought I don't want to live with people anymore. Mm. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> he took me upstairs to show me the house. There were holes in the wall. They had, uh, they had, th uh, three stereos, no stove and two fridges and no jobs. And Jesus. they had two fridges for the beer. Yeah. And they had destroyed the apartment and they had, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this from high school, you put gum in cigarette foil, you know, you take the cigarette foil out of the, and you them, put the throw them on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ceiling. yeah. ceiling was covered Jesus in that, and the and the and the place stunk like smoke. And that, that's when I found out that, that uh, landlords, you know, when you talk about renting houses and stuff like that, that's what a lot of landlords are up against. But yeah. that, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. I hate people like that. <laughs> yeah, the what would you have done? Would you dance Me? with the devil, Poseidon? Oh no, no, no! I would have turned into the devil. I would have kicked the door down. <laughs> I'd be like, you don't fucking slam the door in my Yeah, but you're a big face. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, oh, mind you, you're I've a already, big guy too. I've yeah, already but, done something like that for a friend in the past. Uh, have you? Have yeah. you been the guy? Yeah. Oh, he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you can come over and take care of the carny for me. Oh, it'll be my Although, pleasure, Ted. the carny, after I stomped on the floor, he came upstairs and banged on my door, and he's standing there with no shirt on because he's, yeah. he's a tough guy. Yeah. And But when, he opened, when I opened the door, and I was six feet tall and 215 pounds... Yeah. I don't think he was quite expecting that. No. So, uh, you know, he, I still got the, oh, what the fuck is your problem? Right. And, I, and I said, nothing. I'm just keeping time to the music. Right. And, you know, turn it the fuck down. Yeah. So well, anyway, okay. I'd, I, yeah, I'd pay the five bills. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about we bring our guest in? Let's do that, shall hey. we? All right. Uh, yes. Oh, that's correct. Thank you. Poseidon is reminding us that it is time to remind you and welcome our new sponsor. The UPS store uh, at the upsstore.ca. David Drucker uh, is the, uh, what is he? The Grand Poobah, the chief uh, cook and yeah. bottle washer. He's yeah, a longtime I, friend of ours. Yes, he is. Yeah. And was gracious enough to jump on board as a sponsor for the podcast. Uh, David uh, is, um, is the uh, proprietor of the UPS store Canada, the franchiser, I guess. You, mm -hmm. Over 350 locations in Canada, 5,000 across North America. 
And they do it all, eh? Oh, Whether you, like on a if, personal or professional level, yeah. if you have stuff that you need done, yeah. the UPS store can handle it. If you're you. a small business owner, they can look after everything with shipping, shredding documents, sending faxes, labels, packing. They look after everything. And even if you're not a small business, even if you've got something you want to send to Aunt Mary over across the pond, they'll look after that too. They'll pack it, make sure it's properly packed and shipped and taken care of. It really is a one-stop shop to fix all your problems the ups store.ca look it's tommy schnurmacher how are you fine i am fine how are you doing oh my god i haven't seen you in so long i'm uh, just uh, i'm thrilled we should explain that uh you know for people who don't know who this man is and that would i find that hard to believe um tommy is an author broadcaster writer speaker yeah, that about covers. Are you now. a boulevardier? Yes, yes, yes. And, and a raconteur. <laughs> I'm also a raconteur. He is that. He's yes, an excellent he raconteur. I we want we. I've got so much to talk to you about because um, uh, we want to talk about the book. I want to talk about the martinis in Venice. I want to talk about what, good, what you've good. been. Yeah, oh yeah. I just wet. You know what's great about this, Tommy? About podcasting is nobody is. There's no boss standing at the door. There's no timer. There's. Yeah, there, I, I know. I find that astonishing. I, I did a, a, a podcast for a while, and I kept saying, "Well, I, I've only got like ten seconds." Yes. But there's only twelve seconds. Yeah. No, there isn't. No. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter what you friggin' say. I still haven't got quite gotten to the F word yet. Uh, but I figured, yeah, it's a much more relaxed. It's a much cooler, relaxed so atmosphere. Sure. I want to let's start with. I I retired. You were very kind. You said some nice things when I went out the door, and then I um, I, I ran down the highway, and I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been doing? Because I know you love to travel, and I, I'm I'm wondering what you've been up to because we we haven't been in daily touch. Um, what have you been up to during the lockdown? Uh, oh, I've been quite busy during uh, the lockdown. First of all, I did an audio version of uh, the book. We'll get we can get to that uh, later. How, how difficult that was! How difficult that was to do. Uh, can you, like, you know, I'm going to narrate my own book, of course, right? I mean, I'm in the radio business. I'm not going to hire a narrator. Uh, and But you have to sit there for three hours, what we're doing now, and read from the book and keep reading and keep talking, keep talking. It took four hours, four days in a row wow. to get the whole thing done in an un-air-conditioned un studio. Right. And the one good thing about it, if I made a little mistake... What's the author going to say, right? <laughs> but you know what? Nobody else could do that book except you. Nobody yeah. else could read that. I don't think anyone else could do any Tommy Schnurmacker book well, except you because the style is so unique and it's so you. Well, yes, like, I don't care if it's Robert De Niro. You know, I'm still going to be sitting there going, no, that doesn't work. It's yeah. got to be Tommy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for the, especially for mom's Hungarian accent. Yes. <laughs> um, but I did, I mean, uh, since the, uh, I mean, I... I absolutely chose the right time to uh, retire. Boy, did I get uh, oh. out of there while the go getting was good. Uh, f first of all, the second I got out of there, I did, I did tons of travel. When I retired, I went to, to Israel, Ireland, and Italy, and those are just the eyes. So, <laughs> so, uh, so like, I, I, went, I went all over the place. I absolutely loved that. Now, when co COVID hit, right, I was doing a book tour. I was in Vancouver, uh, and uh, I was in... Uh, New York City, actually, uh, right at the start of the uh, pandemic, and they were saying at the time, you don't have to worry. Like you know, there's no there's no COVID in um, 
in New York City. There's, there was a little outbreak, they said, in New Rochelle, but it's, but it's, but it's not in New York City. I'm thinking to myself, uh, it takes um, 20 minutes to drive past JFK Airport, right? You're driving and driving around. You're still at the airport for 20 <laughs> minutes. So if all of those planes landing from every city on Earth with hundreds of thousands of passengers, not one of them had COVID. <laughs> what a miracle that must be that there's only this outbreak in New Rochelle. So I knew that was nonsense. Came home, so I stocked up on tuna just at the, at the right time because I'd run out of the supply I stocked up on for Y2K, uh, right? Uh, so uh, it was perfect. And then what happened for travel, because I missed the travel a lot, yeah. I found this site called um, Hego, H-E-Y-G-O, which is like an international travel site where guides take you on tours of a city. And it's a live tour for an hour. So let's say it's two o'clock, so it's Budapest. So the, you join in and the guy's walking through Budapest. He's telling you on your right, on your left, and you can chat back and forth with oh, him. Oh, really? You can and, chat? Yes. You can chat and ask him questions back and forth. It's oh live. God. It's happening you know, like it's, you know, like it's two o'clock. If it's two o'clock here, it's probably eight o'clock in, in uh, Budapest. So like, and he's telling you, and there's different tours, and it's of every city and town on earth. They've done a bunch of all in Quebec City and, and, and London, Paris, Venice. I was on a Vaporetto tour because I was going through withdrawal, not, yeah. not going to Venice. Yeah, yeah. And so that was a great little way to, to travel. And there was one particular trip that I really liked. It was uh, the Scottish Highlands, right, where they walk on a narrow path next to a mountain that goes straight down and this narrow path goes straight uphill and it's craggy and rocky and like I'm I'm holding on to my chair in my living room because I'm worried about falling off the chair thinking how would I be like it like to, on this actual tour yeah so of course it doesn't matter yeah. for an hour he's huffing the guide's huffing and puffing but what do I care and then and it's great because you can leave a tip if you want five dollars ten dollars oh, wow. or or just if you don't if you can't afford it then you just uh, you know, like you hype it, talk about it, or you yeah. know, on social media, etc. So I, I did a lot of that. What's the site again, Tom? Hago. Hago. H-E-Y-G-O. Okay. And I did it so often, the two guys who started it wanted to speak to me about it <laughs> and, ask, and ask my advice because I showed up so often on it. So I love doing that. I, that, that was, I do that quite often. Is it free or do yes. you pay? It is, free, eh? Free, yeah. Free. So how do they make their money? Advertisements? They make, uh, no, they make their money of the tips. They get uh, 40% of the tips and the guides get 60%. Oh, okay. So you do like a, an interact transfer or yes, whatever. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah, wow. yeah. And if you want, and if you don't, you don't ha have to. And there's more and more guides. They don't pay the guides. The guides have to get their own equipment, uh, That whatever that thingamajig is that they walk around with. Right. That, uh, takes the pictures, uh, the videos of everything. And it's live. So I, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of promotion uh, for the book. Uh, and I also, I always like to have an addiction. Yes. You know, sometimes. <laughs> like, I, I really do. Uh, you know, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know what those addictions yeah, are. Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. But after. But I'm talking after. Yes. Right? When the addictions got a little different. There's Twitter. Of course, mm -hmm. I still have yes. that and have to, you know, yank the needle out of my arm every now and then and then just put it down. But uh, there's a new one I, I, I found, and that's um, um, auctions. Like live auctions. auctions. Yeah. Now, in auctions, you usually have to go to auctions. Now yeah. you don't have to go. You can do it virtually online. And uh, if you buy something in the United States, after they've added the auction tax and the regular tax and the exchange and the delivery here, it'll be 10 times whatever you thought it was. So you can't do that. You, you can't 
well, you can if you're very wealthy, but other than that, you can't. But there are local auction houses, a couple in, uh, in Montreal, Hotel des Encans, and another one called Maison des Encans, and they have auctions like every couple of weeks. And the stuff, this is what's interesting about it. Every now and then, all the prices start at $15, and sometimes they go up, and sometimes they don't. So sometimes you get a nice 24 by 36 inch beautiful oil painting for $15. Are you kidding? Yeah, no. Oh my so even God. if you add the 15%, but now I look like, you know, my house looks like hoarders. Right? <laughs> I and was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we're, we're at a place in our life where we don't need more stuff. Oh, but it's, it's all big. the joy is in the bidding. Yes. Right? Are you yes. going to get it? Or are you not? Yeah. And also what happens is that bastard i'm not gonna let him get that for 20 bucks i don't need i don't need that statue of a shepherd that's really a lamp i don't need that but if it's only 15 dollars, i can't let him have it do you see the other bidders and do you see no, the no, auctioneer no, no, no you do not and is the auctioneer one of the one of the three no 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 you just get click kick click bump oh really yeah, just oh, okay so oh, it's wow. it just sound effects oh. so there's not it's nonverbal. No, it's nonverbal. And then you have to go actually pick up the stuff. Like you yeah. pay for it and then you have to go pick it up. But what's really fun about it is you get a lot of nice stuff. And the reason this happened is I got, uh, I decided since I wasn't traveling so much, I figured I was, uh, another habit is fun looking at real estate. Not you oh, to buy you're anything. so just look, good at this. Just look Listen. at real estate. Just check houses. Like, look at a con. Look at condos. Look yes. at the houses. Yeah. Some that you'd think about buying. Some that you wouldn't. But it's nice to look. And you you can take the virtual tours, right? And, 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 and what's more fun than an open house and seeing how other people right. live right. and how they decorate and everything? So, uh, <laughs> so so I was doing a lot of that, and then I decided maybe we should uh, have a country place. And you know what's happening with country places in in uh, in and around Montreal? Like, you, you remember the old days in. In real estate, somebody would say, let's say they have a house that's, uh, you know, asking, uh, in the old, we're talking old days, asking like uh, 200000 right? right? So, you know, I, I'll offer you one eighty, yeah, right? And then yeah. maybe it'll be 190 and there'll yeah. be this back and forth game. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. In the Laurentians, the asking price will be two ninety nine. And they'll have 14 offers on the first day. This is Montreal. It's yes. not Toronto. It's not Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. They'll have 14 offers. And it'll go so 420, 430, 440, 440. And so one of the ones that was 399 actually went for uh, 500. First of all, I'm surprised you even found anything at 299 in the Laurentians. Well, and, yeah. and you're old enough to remember when, oh yeah, my parents bought a cottage in, in Saint Essie de Cordes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. they paid 18 Did, grand yeah, right, for it. Right, exactly. You so, know? So anyway, so we did a lot of that all over the yeah, place, right? Yeah. And when we saw it, we're not going to make these kind of offers, but it was fun looking. So we looked all over and saying, jean sur Richelieu, gorgeous area. St. Mark's sur Richelieu on the river there, absolutely gorgeous. And then you have to check, is it flood zone or not, right? right. Oh, no wonder it's $50 uh, <laughs> right. for this house. Uh, there could be a problem with it. And then we, anyway, we found some nice place. Uh, we're looking, 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 and I found a nice place um, in... Um, in Roxton Pond, which is an eastern townships, mm -hmm. which is like, uh, you know, like on the water, et cetera. And it was reasonable and it was very small. Isn't that like, where they've got the open door policy for illegal immigrants? Or am I no, thinking no, of somewhere Roxham else? Roxham Road. Oh, okay. Roxham sorry. <laughs> Somebody else was telling me that. Well, you know, that's why it was a deal because. No, no, no. It's nowhere near there. Anyway. So sorry, I've, my bad. I've, I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, like looking at that and so also if you're going to get a cottage if you're going to rent a cottage because mm -hmm. i was a big airbnb fan if you're going to rent a cottage right uh 
you got to furnish it with something, right? <laughs> right. And it, right. So, so then, of course, you have to find the right pieces. And, and like you see these these absurd things, like you know, see a magnificent couch and it, it it's fifteen dollars. It's like, <laughs> so this is where it won't end up. It won't end up being fifteen. The auction's It'll go to hundred and fifty. Yeah. So the auction's <laughs> come, absolutely coming, but you really have to control yourself, like. To get the the emotion out of it, because you get carried away and buy stuff that you absolutely do not right don't need at all. Well, the the reverse is true because I would not own what I own today if it wasn't for Tommy. My very first house that I bought, I didn't buy my first house until I was forty, and it required Tommy to coach me through the terror I felt about buying my first place. And what did you say to me? You said you fucking. No, no, idiot. I don't know. I remember seeing if you it was don't a gorgeous house. It was a gorgeous house on on, on St. Catherine Street. And, and was it Brian Gallery's Brian old Gallery's place? Yes. Yeah. House, yeah. Filled with spectacular art, stunning a basement, main floor, second floor, another floor, floors, floors here on the left, right, backyards, terrace. It just went on and on, and and it was like an, an obscene price. Oh, it was three, five, yeah, it was three five or something. Yeah. Three or four. And, and so I I said. No, Terry, let me go look at it. I'll, 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 I'll go look at it. So I went with my agent. We went to look at the house. And what is, you, what is he waiting for? What is he waiting for? She told me. So then I went to you and said, what are you waiting for? Yeah. So you gave me the right push. I said, I, I said absolutely. Yeah. As yes, yeah. the answer is yes. yes. Yeah. Find a pen yes. and, and sign whatever they put in front of you. Take it. And, yeah. I, and I did. And because I bought that house, I, I the, the whole, uh, the, you know, that's why I, I own the home I own, own today. Um, what did, I want to know what you think, because after I was, I was going to say stepped away from the mic, after I was pushed away from the mic, coming outside of the radio business, and we should preface this by saying Tommy was in the radio business for a thousand years, like yeah. I, I was. I started, when you're outside it looking back in, it's a different look for me. I look back in, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, Jesus Christ, like, what, what, what's, what's become of the industry? And, and not just because, you know, we worked in another era, but I, I just, I want to know what your take is. As you look back in or you listen, okay, uh, what do you well, think this, has well, happened? First of all, I have to say, when I was there, I, I did a talk show for like 20, 20 years, a talk show, right? I was a talk show for 20 years, and I absolutely loved it. I thoroughly yes. enjoyed it and voicing my opinion on everything. Recently, I was asked to um, um, speak at a, at a group at a, at a synagogue, and I was speaking about my, the book, uh, my memoir, and um, they liked it, and they said, why don't you come back? And uh, I said, well, I'm not going to talk about the same thing. I said, no, well, you can talk about something else. Why don't you talk about the Quebec uh, language law? I said, I'd rather have a root canal. <laughs> I said, like, I couldn't, like, there, I couldn't, br the thought of it, right, of going through the whole thing, because, I mean, there's not one syllable or sentence or paragraph that I haven't said at yeah. some point, or I said, or d d agreed with, or disagreed with over decades. So, I mean, you got to, you know, been there, done that yeah. over and over again. So, I mean, I didn't want to. Like, I got tired of that, didn't want to do it. So I wanted to, I was very happy to leave radio behind. And when I was uh, going to retire, they were saying, aren't you going to miss it at all? You're going to miss it? I said, no, no. Whatever I had to do, uh, I've done. Now, what's changed since is, to me, absolutely stunning. 
This is absolutely stunning. One day I was listening to a, a certain AM radio station yes. in, in uh, Montreal. That yes. should be nameless. Uh, at, at, uh, on the 9 o'clock news. And the three, the three items of news at 9 a.m., Terry, where a, a car went off the, the highway and, and had a little crash in the West Island. Uh, they were culling deer mm-hmm. uh, on the South Shore. And people who went to the San Diego Zoo got a very big surprise <laughs> because the giraffe gave birth to a baby giraffe. Ooh. That was it. For the 9 a.m. Oh. news, I said, it can't be. Like, I mean, like did, may, maybe somebody died in the chair. Like, like w- that, that, can, can you believe that? Like, of all, this was in the middle of chaos in the U.S., COVID, like everything else, like a, a 150 news things. Right. right? And, and that. So that, to me, I was stunned at, that, about that. That came to me as a huge shock that that was acceptable. Yes. That, that wouldn't, be, wouldn't be acceptable in a high school no. radio station on the first day that you did it. Well, it just think, wouldn't be acceptable. think of some of the news directors <laughs> who, who ran the newsroom at, at said radio oh station, and like, Gord Sinclair or Steve Couch would have said, what oh in the okay. name of sweet baby the, the, Jesus? The, the, those, like, so, and, you know, I, I, was, I was looking at my friend Harold as... Did you, did you just hear that? That's it. Yeah. They say, they're doing now. They're talking about the traffic. They're, they've gone yeah. into traffic in the winter. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's all there is. Yeah. That was it. Yes. That's the whole news of um, in Montreal yeah. and Quebec and Canada yeah. and the world. In the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that giraffe, the yeah. baby giraffe, Muzzle Tov. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the, the, so the, and this is what I'm talking about. The, the company that owns that radio station has completely abandoned its, in my opinion, its promise to serve the community. When, when you get a license to broadcast on public airwaves, you have to make some promises about serving the community's needs. Oh yeah, there's no there's no excuse for that. I, I totally agree. Like with you. you know, you 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 shouldn't be able to run a news radio station with no reporters. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just <laughs> and, and and whoever is there decided. Well, these are the three important yes. things for today. Yeah, right. I mean that also is a problem. So right? is that is that a feel is that a failure at journalism schools? Do you think? Uh, well, yeah. In, in part, yes, because whoever was there in, physically in the building submitted it as a newscast, right. which you should never have done because that's, right. in fact, not a newscast, <laughs> but a bad joke. Right. That's all it is. Right. So th- that's one. But also, what about, like, uh, there's also management and, and, of course, way, way up and, you know, where the, where the technique is. And in terms of money-making, it's not a bad way to do it, right? Instead of <laughs> getting more revenue, just stop paying salaries. Right. And when you fire this person... Do not hire a replacement for that person. Uh, his second in command will do two jobs, and, right. then, and you keep doing this down the line, uh, you know, w- with every line of work. So e- eventually, it's diminishing uh, returns. But don't forget, also, there's so many millions of other places that people can get. I mean, well, where do I get my news? Obviously, I don't get my news trying to figure out who, who, what's happening at the San Diego Eagle Zoo, Zoo. <laughs> you know, right. in the new birth department. <laughs> so, uh, like, if I want to know what's breaking news, like a few seconds from ago, it's on Twitter. Right, like, I find it on Twitter. So, what do you think that means, especially in Montreal, for 
um, what is a diminishing English community and a diminishing presence of English media with a thinning newspaper and a news station with no reporters. Like, what happens? What's what's the end game? Do you think? Well, I think the end game is the switch to uh, and uh, you know the big companies have figured that out. It's a switch to. Uh, to social media, that's right. where you're going to get. That's where you're, you're going to get it somewhere yeah. else. You're going to get the wet. Where you're going to get the weather? You're going to go to the weather channel, right? right. They'll have it instantly. Where you're going to get the latest news? You're going to go to Twitter. Where you're going to get entertainment news? And if you want to know what's going on, for instance, at the San Diego Zoo, they have a website. <laughs> like, that, were you interested in wanting to know if they're new animals? You could go there. So, do do you think, like I sometimes think, if you super served that audience if you didn't get rid of all of your reporters and you 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 were dedicated to good journalism and and decent service of news you know i i was telling ted this morning i remember that the day that the carry uh, trench flooded yeah yeah and i remember being in the building and the news director yelling everybody out meaning all the reporters Go scatter right, right. and go get news from different corners. And I remember they had reporters at every end of the decare. And I'm telling you, nobody in the city, everybody in the city was listening. Oh, that's like ancient history. It right? is. Like that so that never that, happened. No, that's no, no. But never. so that's that's not a viable business model anymore. I, I don't think it is. And I okay. think whoever came up with that idea, like yeah. you just said, we're going to do this. We're going to have the, we're yeah. going to have all these fantastic people. Right. The second he f- submitted that idea, right. The person that way above him would fire him. Yes. So, so gotcha. he'd be gone. They, know, right. they don't. They, first of all, they don't want a good idea. That's not the point of it. That's right. like the healthcare system. There's right. so many people that are under the delusion here that the healthcare system has to do with the people who are sick. Right. Right? It has nothing to do. No, 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 it doesn't. It has nothing to do with that. It's to spend the least amount of money as possible right. and to get you to train you, and they're very good at it, to stay away from the healthcare system. <laughs> yeah. That's right? True. I remember when, when my late mom, you know, are we gonna t- she was not feeling well, I'm going to take her to the emergency. I said, why don't we just put her in the hallway, like in, yeah. in, in the condo? People will pass by <laughs> and ignore her here, and it, it's not as noisy, and there's not a, as much chance of her getting even more We're sick. sick. Right. Like, what, like, what difference is, is it going to make? Right. I remember I took her once to the hospital hospital uh and um i'm showing the medicare card so he's looking at uh the guy the triage nurse is looking at uh you know uh how old like her age and he and he and he does like this he lifts his eyebrows like right. oh you know she's old and i said can i have the card back please and i left i was like yeah oh, what like obviously there's no there'll be no help here like right. there's no point here so she was too old for him to bother yes, with her. Right. yes yes so and, and oh, one of these things that I also saw, and this has been going on, by the way, this is not a political thing. This has been going on under liberals and PQ and everybody else. I was in, I spent a lot of time uh, in the last couple of years before mom passed uh, in emergency. And, and a lot of times the people who work there in, in many cases, the doctors and the nurses and the orderlies are doing a spectacular job under extremely trying circumstances. But at one point, Get this. I, I'm there. It's you're not in the actual. There's no room. You're you're in a hallway next to the hallway next to the hallway where the emergency is. They've changed that since then. Oh, you know what the new idea? How you go to emergency now? The Jewish. There's nobody in, uh, waiting in the front, in, like in the waiting room. And you think, wow, oh, what wow. happened? That's fabulous. Yeah. No, 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 no. They hide them. They hide <laughs> them at all. Oh, no, no. They hide them all over the place. You know, they take you out of there quickly and hide you five different, there's six, seven, eight different places to wait. But now it's circular and, it, and it's much better. But in the old days, I was sitting there in one of these hallways of hallways and 
this guy is obviously motioning to a nurse. He has to go to the bathroom, right? And no one is paying any attention. Then he decides, well, if he can't go anywhere else, he'll go right there. And then he takes what developed and flings it with his hands onto the floor. Oh, my God. So I, I, I'm witnessing this, never having seen this before, right? And uh, I, I can't believe it. So I, I went to the nurse's station and t- uh, told them exactly what had happened. And after I told the nurse what had happened, I went uh, to the second cop to go get, uh, get coffee. I came back 45 minutes later. Plus Sachange, still no. there. Yes, with doctors and nurses walking by it on, on the floor, Good just grief. walking back and forth. So this is this a little vignette, <laughs> a little vignette of the healthcare system. It's to train you not to go. And, and they, you know, like, like if you get sick, that's not the point of it. That's not the point of the healthcare system to make fe- people feel better. The people making the decisions about it are uh, bureaucrats, and it has to do with the, the money. They want to keep it under a certain level. And there's a way to do that. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. I remember interviewing a guy uh, from out west in Saskatoon, and he's a consultant for hospitals, um, private and public, both. And he said, the way they do, get this, you know what they do? They follow a patient. Okay, the patient arrives. So let's go out on the street where the patient's walked in. What does the street look like here? Like, what does he have to step into? Okay, and then uh, into the room. What are the seats like? And what's it like when you get into the room? What's it like when this person speaks to you? They took it, looked at it all from the point of view of the patient. And then you can streamline a lot of things to make it a lot better. And, and not necessarily at more cost. For instance, when they have all these huge crowds, you can have volunteers who are there. Would you like a juice? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll see you know, how long I think it'll take. Like, just sort of, sort of smooth it out. They can have that. That's free. That doesn't cost anything. So they don't do that. They don't bother to what, do So do, do you think that these are, is it you and me living in the past? That, you know, that that good ideas are just not welcome anymore because uh, it's all about the greed and yeah. the share price and the... Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. yeah. Those were the good old days and yes. they're not, and they're not uh, coming back. They're not. And, the younger, and the younger crowd, they're not concerned about it because they're no. not sick. Right, <laughs> they're of course. Fine. They're fine. I, they don't, are, they don't worry are you a believer it. in, because I was, uh, I was a user of private medicine. Are you a believer in private medicine? Yes, mixed. mixed. Yes, I, me I too. That's what I had. I, I, I was, when I lived in... Quebec. I I was a, a patient at Cardiogenics. They're still I'm, playing your commercials, by the way. I heard good. one today. I'm glad. I never, never have had better health care and service than I did when I was in a private private medical. And again, that's part of my privilege. I was able to afford that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have a good friend who runs a clinic uh, called Clinic Medical, which is not private it's a public clinic but it's a clinic and also i get pretty good service yeah, there yeah. but I mean, it's very difficult for yeah. them i mean also the you know the, the patients are very sick you know, patients keep showing up and they're sick and, and by the way the other thing is our healthcare system is in fact flawless and it's sick people who ruin it <laughs> because because no really no no think about it if they didn't show up in such huge numbers right everything is very nice yes the nice yep. chairs yes. Everything's, everything's yeah. fine yeah. i mean they just keep getting sick and showing up all the time damn <laughs> the infirm okay yeah. let's let's talk about um let's talk about the book because i remember you know tommy and i have been friends for many many years and and i knew the story of your mom we used 
sometimes we would call your mom when you and I were working on the morning show. Some, I think once or twice she appeared. No, no, no. You're, no? you're dreaming. Uh, am I dreaming every, it? Every morning man has said that. Every morning man has called but said that they're going to call mom and mom and right. they'd call her and but they'd speak to her privately it? in the afternoon and say that they'd really like to have her on. It's oh, no, my no, no, birthday. No. It's my this, my that. You have never spoken to okay. her in the morning. Okay. Never. Okay. Ever. All right. Okay. You're right about that because she never got up in the morning. Of course. She got up at the crack of noon. Of <laughs> Of course she would be up in the morning. But, but she was always very polite. Yes. Uh, they, they would send a limo to get her to take her to CFCF uh, uh, television uh, for my birthday thing, right? Yes. They can send the limo all they want. They could put like 40 bottles of champagne. She's not answering the door. Not, of course she'll say yes, she'll do it. Right. Because you have to be polite. Yes. But I mean, she's not getting up before noon. She's one of the all-time great characters. Uh, and, and, and some of the stories, you know, and... and uh, they, it took you a while to write the book, um, and you told me you were going to write the book. And then when you told me what the title of the book was, I thought to myself, holy shit, can, can you call a book that? Yeah, and it's your memoir. Yes. Tommy's memoir yes. Is, is called Makeup Tips from Auschwitz, How Vanity Saved My Mother's Life. Did yes. I get it right? You got it exactly right. And That's it's a correct. stunning read. It's, you, you can read it one sitting. And it's, it's a wonderful book, an absolutely wonderful book. Now, fr from the title, you think it's a very serious subject. Yes. Her, her experience in, in Auschwitz was obviously very, very uh, serious. But uh, the book is about, it. very little is about her experience there. Most of the book is funny stories that have happened with her and me. It's my relationship with her and the dysfunctional relationship that it is and the funny relationship taking her to the Academy Awards, taking her to the Cannes Film Festival, making sure she doesn't get arrested at the Cannes Film Festival, <laughs> things like that. So uh, so it's, it's, it's stories like, it's mainly stories like that. But the, the, the shocker of it is that this woman who's a, a teenager walking around with her sister in a little town in Hungary um, and saying the two of them are bored, nothing ever interesting happens, and then like a few months later they're on cattle cars hurtling to the death camp of Auschwitz. When she got there, her, her wherewithal, right, she's like a teenage, late teens, I think, at that point, or early 20s, um, and she uh, is on a cattle car crammed into a cattle car that for a day, day and a half before she finally gets to the destination. Then Joseph Mengele chooses you know, which one, who's going to the gas chamber, who's going to be a slave laborer. And he looks at her and she looks young and attractive. So he tells her, you know, to go in the work section. And when she gets there and, you know, they're uh, given clothes, the, uh, they don't bother what kind of... Uh, what size you are, anything like that. She gets goes, she doesn't like my mother right there in the death camp of Auschwitz, doesn't like the way the outfit looks on her. <laughs> this occurred to her that this doesn't look right. In the, and so she takes her uh, ration of daily ration of moldy bread and exchanges it for needle and thread and she fixes the dress so that it fits Right. She takes the swill that they serve as coffee and uh, uses it to polish her shoes. She pinches her cheeks so there's a little blush. So during the morning roll call, uh, Irma Greza, on whom they base the character Ilsa Shewolf of the SS, Irma Greza sees her, says, you, out of line. And, of course, they're saying the prayer for the dead for her. They figure she's a goner. And Greza asks, how come you 
a, a Jew looks like that in a place like this. And so my mother tells her exactly what she did. And so, okay, then you're clean enough and you're going to work for me as my valet, my personal. She became her personal valet, tending her garden, cleaning her bicycle, et cetera, et cetera, doing whatever had to be done as a personal servant. Uh, and of course, because of that, the conditions were slightly better than they would have been in, anywhere else in the barracks. And her sister worked in a section called Canada. The section of Auschwitz called Canada was where all the goods were, where all, everything they'd stolen, like all the money and the jewelry and whatever people had brought with them on the trains were all piled up and sorted, etc., and sent off to Germany. And so my aunt was working in that part of Auschwitz. So, so named because it was a place of bounty, of, of bounty as, which is the perception of Canada yeah, at the time. Yes, yeah. the perception was there's a lot of wealth in Canada, a lot of wealth here. We'll call it Canada. Anyway, this woman, Grace, actually allowed... Um, my mother asked about her, you know, her parents, her relatives. She asked about the age of her parents. They're dead. They're gone. They're up in smoke. Uh, uh, but uh, her brothers and sisters that were younger, they're fine. And she found out for her that her sister was working in the camp, and she allowed them to meet for five minutes uh, during the, the course of that time. But anyway, so mom survives all that. She gets married. Then there's the Hungarian Revolution, Right and and uh, it, before we get to the Hungarian Revolution, you can't in communist Hungary. There's not enough to eat. Right, there is for the first two weeks. If you want to eat the second two weeks of the month, <laughs> that's the, that's the th- that could be the problem. So uh, so mom is dealing in um, contraband uh, American uh, silver uh, dollars. So this is 1956. No, this is prior prior to oh, 56. Okay. So that's what she deal with. So, so she's in her early 20s. At this yes. Point. So she's got she's got around 300 of them of these dollars, and she's you know making business with this because, like I said, Dad's salary at the department store he was working uh, for at the time did it okay for those first two weeks, but we also want to eat towards the end of the month. So so she's dealing with this, and um, a neighbor reports her. Right, and uh, so uh, two guys from from the government are knocking on the door. So mom quickly takes all of the money, and and uh, and hides it uh, uh, in my uh, diaper pail. Right, she throws it all into the diaper pail. So guy says, "We heard that you're uh, dealing in American dollars." Uh, yeah, sure I am. Look around. This house looks like I have American dollars. Uh, where did I hide them? What? Probably in here. I hid them right here in the diaper pail. Why'd you look in there? Yeah, look in there right now. You'll find plenty. If you find one, give it to me. So the guy said, ah, big mouth. My, my father's hair is turning white while this is happening. And the guy leaves. Did your mother not have any fear at all? Uh, I think that she didn't have any fear after Auschwitz because after her parents had died, right. like, right. whatever's going to happen, it ain't going to yeah. be uh, that Nothing bad. Could it, be worse it, than nothing's going to be worse. Did yeah. her sister survive? Yes. She yes, did, Her eh? sister uh, survived, and she had two brothers who uh, survived. What, and what did, was your fa- Sorry, Terry. Oh, what ahead. was your father's experience in, in the Holocaust? Oh, he, he, his was unbelievable. He was, in, he was not in Auschwitz. He was in Matthausen. They met after the war. and um, in uh, Working in the quarry? Uh, was Matt Housen the one with the quarry? I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, he was. He dad was not working in no quarry. No way. No, he's, <laughs> not a, he's not. He's not. the quarry. I feel that's bad. Not the, that's not the quarry, not the quarry, quarry type. Guy. Uh, dad, uh, dad, dad was busy um, telling people that he came from a very wealthy. A Jewish family of jewelers who had this beautiful uh, shop on one of the main streets in Budapest. So what happens is some of the guards said that, well, if I give you, 
if I give you this, uh, uh, could you give me an IOU that I could collect from your parents in, uh, in Budapest? So I said, okay. So dad wrote this uh, little IOU for this gold watch that somebody offered him. And the guy who did this told somebody else who came with his jewelry. And then more of them came. And then dad had gold watches and diamonds and jewels from all these officers who were giving this stuff they'd stolen and giving it to him, hoping to get a lot more money when they went to visit his parents uh, at their jewelry store in Budapest. But there was just one problem. His parents were both dead, and they never owned a jewelry store in Budapest or anywhere else. But by the time they got to this jewelry store that did exist, of course, uh, it was too late. Now, meanwhile, back at at Matthausen, right, uh, somebody said, was asking about, because uh, my father at, the, at one point, I don't know if it was at Mauthausen, but it was when he was part of the Hungarian labor battalions, right? When they used the, the Jews as slave labor in, in, in Hungary. Um, some, after he'd done this watches and gold business for a while, uh, he was very nervous because how long does it take to get to Budapest and back? Like, you know, so... They asked if there were any volunteers to go to the front. So my dad <laughs> immediately, there re- never were volunteers yes. to go to the front, really. Right. Uh, but dad volunteered. Now, are we talking about there. the Russian front? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Yes, to Ukraine. So, so to get, get out of there. Now, at one point later on in Russia, uh, dad and whoever he, he was with are, are starving to death. They're on the road and they're, they're starving to death. Uh, like they're, they're, and they're, they're afraid to go in anywhere because, you know, what will happen? So what happens? Uh, um, an elderly Hungarian peasant um, woman is uh, driving a wagon and she sees them and she stops in front of the farmhouse and she says that she has to go get something in the farmhouse. Would the two of them guard the wagon for her? Okay. Yes. Of course they would. <laughs> they guarded the wagon for it, took off on the wagon with the horse, and they find out in the back of the wagon, meat, cheese, food, like oh like, my God. like more food than they thought existed in all of Hungary at the time. And so that part, portioning that out uh, was what allowed him to survive till the end of the war. Wow. Wait, how do you feel, Tommy, about, you know, we're telling stories about the Holocaust and laughing it 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 doesn't feel right. Well, it reminds me of that movie. Uh, is it called The Last Laugh? Mel yeah. Brooks is in it. Robert Cleary, who right. played LeBeau right. in Hogan's yeah. Heroes and was yes. in a concentration camp. And the question was, it. can you laugh at okay. the Holocaust? Yes, you're not. The thing is, uh, people have asked me that because there's funny stories in my book. Yeah, and, 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 you, and, right? and the way you tell them and makes I, and me I tell, laugh. Yes, and the thing is, that's be, where did I get that from? I got that from, uh, why do I have the right to do that? I'll tell you why I have the right to do that, because both my parents were Holocaust survivors. And that's the way they would often uh, talk. And they used humor in the camp, inside the camp itself, amongst each other. And that's, I think, what helped make them create this resilience and, and this power f- for them, uh, that no matter how bad things are, that when, when you think that life is so bleak and everything is like so absolutely ho- horrific, right? Uh, when it's so horrendous, and you say something that's funny and someone else finds that funny, that has unspeakable value for you at, at wow. the moment. I'm talking about two people who are in that situation. And there was that humor. We're not laughing at it right. at, at all. Yeah. You know. That's what Robert Cleary says in that film. And, and in that film, there's an elderly Jewish woman and, and her granddaughter, and the granddaughter says that the grandmother used to say to her, 
you can't make your bed for this. I survived Auschwitz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. They, you know, like they trained that. that yeah. That, no, they trained that. Uh, there's a Jewish mother school. Where <laughs> they, no, no, seriously. Yeah, that, that, that's the first. Did your that's mother the first do that well, when go, you were well, younger. Well, of course they have to. They can't. <laughs> not mother. They can't be mother. They don't get a certificate right. saying that. Right. You, you, they right. don't get the child's birth certificate till they till they do that. Yeah. Tommy is the, as a f- uh, I don't know first generation survivor is the right term, but you're you're the first generation. No, I'm called af- second gen. We're called second gen. Uh, so, okay. The survivors and then we're second gen. Most of the survivors are gone now, and yeah. within a few years they'll all be gone. W- what kind of um, responsibility do you feel and do people in your position and generation feel in terms of carrying on the legacy and to add to the question what do you see the generations after you how do you see their perception of the holocaust and are they well equipped to carry on the legacy i think it is a a legacy it's a burden and a legacy at the same time because the trauma visited on them is in us uh, as a second generation. There's all kinds of, a lot of the craziness that, that I have within me is because of the uh, Holocaust. I don't know how to skate. I don't know how to ride a bike. Uh, I don't know how to ski. I've never done any of these things because my mother said when my father brought me skates, uh, I said, go ahead. You take him skating. He will go to Kent Park on the ice. He will fall, break his head, crack open the skull and the brain, the pink <laughs> from the bl- brain and the red blood seep will seep into the ice, make the ice look red. So as a kid, you hear that? You don't. Obviously, you're not. I'm not going skating. Yeah. So <laughs> you're, 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 you're terrified. And uh, when I was like seven years old, the first uh, snowstorm. I'm, I'm a, you're not going to school. Why am I not going? So she says, it's too cold outside. What do you mean it's too cold? All the other kids are going. Why are the other kids going? Because Canadian parents don't love their children. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're taught all this stuff, and this is your family, is your house, so this is normal. Right. So it's, it's this overprotection. You're extremely worried. And when if, so, if a friend of yours is an hour late, ah, well, schmuck, what's he late for? You're not going to think he's dead. Right, but in with Holocaust survivors and second generation, if somebody doesn't show up on time, the first thought is the worst thing has happened. Why? Because in the past it has. You know, like dead examples where family showed up late, they're gone. Yeah. So that goes on to the second generation. You're, uh, you're, you're hyper uh, sensitive. You're like I worry about them all the time. You become overprotective of your parents. You become to parent them. You parent your parents. You're not going to tell them any of your problems. How can they compare to what they went through? So you don't tell them your problems. And you want to protect them because it was so terrible. You want to undo the Holocaust, which you can't. So you want to protect them as much as you can. So that changes that um, uh, dynamic. And so I think it's our responsibility to say what really happened because you can see how it's being twisted and denied all over the place and the anti-Semitism doesn't go down. It gets, it gets worse, worse and worse and worse yeah. and just builds and builds. Um, and and, and it, it goes full circle no matter what it is, it's always the fault of the Jews. It's the old blood libels are, uh, are, are you know, go everywhere. Uh, and uh, so it's interesting to me because I'm part of a second generation group and they're telling me, uh, they're my age, so they have kids, right? So third generation. And those kids, many of them are very much into knowing about what their grandparents went through and, and talking about it, and they do want to continue that uh, legacy. And I'm on the board of something called the uh, Foundation for Genocide Education, which makes it mandatory 
which wants to make it mandatory for the education of uh, gen- Holocaust and other genocides, because there are many other genocides as well, to be taught in Quebec high schools. But, you know, one of the things we always used to talk about, you know, if only there's education, you know. <laughs> if there's education, then it, it wouldn't yeah. happen. Yeah. No, no. The studies say that, no, you can have very highly educated, very highly educated, and nonetheless, there's anti-Semitism. For instance, like there's only one Jewish state in in the world, uh, and that's Israel. And does Israel do everything perfectly? Of course not. Can you criticize Israel? Yes. You can criticize Canada. You can criticize the U.S. You can criticize any country you want. Have you ever heard the question, does Canada have a right to exist? Does the U.S. have a right to exist? Does Lithuania have a right to exist? No, serious. No, yeah. no country. Yeah. But Israel, I don't know. Israel, I don't know if it has a right to <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah. not. So <laughs> that's the only one. That's the only one. So that continues um, regardless. So you, you don't give up. You continue doing what you can to, to, to help with it, uh, to, to, help, to help explain, and that's all you can do. But what's happening now, what, what terrifies me the most is, I don't know if you've seen, like, what's happening with with QAnon, right, which I was so comforted to think, uh, a little bunch of some wacky, wacky people, um, you know, a few handful of wacky people yeah. in a basement. It's not a serious thing. Um, until I speak to a cousin of mine. You, you mentioned, you know, which one of my mother's brothers and sisters. One of her, one of her brothers uh, survived, right? He uh, had a daughter. This daughter lives in uh, New York, and her son lives in um, Indiana. Okay? So this is her grandson. Uh, right? My co- yes. right? It's, my, yes. it's uh, my cousin's son. Here ch- we're chatting on the phone one day, and he's telling me about the Democrats who kidnap children and use their blood to make uh, themselves look beautiful. And, no, no, and, and, and that uh, Trump, uh, Biden's never going to be sworn in. This was last year. Right. Biden's never going to be sworn in because Trump is still the, the, the president. Yeah. And, and Biden and Obama <clears throat> and Hillary are going to be arrested. Right. R- right on that, on January the uh, 20th. And he says, you know, Biden's not the same Biden. You see Biden today and five, you know, f- six months ago? See how different they look? It's, a, it's an imposter. It's someone who's dressed as Biden. He's telling me all this uh, seriously. Wait, what I've told you so far, this is the good part. <laughs> seriously, seriously. So guess, d- just to clarify, this is your cousin's son, son who's yes, telling you this. Yes, yes. Wait, and he's trying to convince me because I'm part of the mainstream media right. and we're, we're out to, we, we've been fooled. We've been fooled to take this poison uh, the, the vaccine, which is an absolute poison and will kill you and make you infertile and uh, change your gender. Like if, like he, he, there's not one thing I'm saying so far that he hasn't said, but I still haven't gotten to the best part. He decides to send me a video of a girl who explains that she's been kidnapped and that she spent a lot of time in this basement, not far from Austin, Texas, she says, uh, where she was there when the Hollywood celebrities would come by and they would order children, eight years old or 10 years old, uh, made to order, like uh, you wanted a black girl, a, a white boy, and they would cook them, right? They'd kill them and cook them first and eat them. Wait, here, listen to this. 
in a sauce of urine and excrement. This is what this, this is on this video that my cousin's son has sent to me. So I, I, I hit the button to stop the, the video. Now I have to call him and, and first of all, find out did he really send this or have uh, I flipped out or was he hacked or whatever. And, and so he tells me, yeah, yeah. Couldn't you tell for, for the way she was talking, how sincere she was, that that really happened? So I tell him, uh, Dave, his name isn't Dave, but I'm calling right. him Dave right. for the purpose of this broadcast. Yes. Uh, Dave, let's say it's Friday night and we got tired of having gefilte fish <laughs> and chicken soup. And we decided for a change, we're going to dine on something different and we were going to opt for that menu. Would we not choose a different sauce? <laughs> what? But, but you know, I, I'm telling what? it in a way that that's funny. But but it can you can no, you imagine? I can't, it's I can't. terrifying. It is. It's terrifying. It is. He he b- believes it, and he, and and he sends me. And there's nothing you can do. No articles. Nothing you can do so, to convince him that any of this is not. And every prediction that does not come to pass. I don't think if you went to Texas to see if John F. Kennedy Jr. was going to show up. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they're still waiting. Yes! Yeah, I know. I, I, but So what do you attribute that to, Tom? A relatively intelligent young man? I, I, I just, I, if, I wish I had the answer to that. A lot of it is this. Yeah. There's just uh, these, lo- yeah, and these yeah. lunatics can all mobilize and, and connect online. Yeah, but, but, but there is nothing that you... The, uh, sitting here right now, there is nothing ridiculous that we can concoct, right? That they would find too ridiculous to, to believe. believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, in other words, if we accused, you know, Trudeau or Hillary or any right. of them, they, they absolutely believe it, right? Uh, no matter what what it was, and inclu- and oh, one of the people he quotes to me, my uh, cousin's son, is David Ick, right? Mm-hmm. One of the world's foremost. Holocaust denier. Yes. I said, you know, hello, you know who he is, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, everybody has, you know, some skeleton in their cupboard. But I, I said, yeah, Nobody's that's perfect. true. I may have robbed a convenience store when I was 23 and paid my dues, and then afterwards everything is okay. Yes, that may have happened. But if I've spent, I don't know, my entire life, a couple of decades being a Holocaust denier, you don't think that, I don't know, counts for something? Yeah, that's I, not I a said, red flag. I said, and I told him, I said, do you know who your grandmother is? Do you know your great you know where what happened to her at the end? Oh, well, it's not, those Jewish people aren't really Jewish people. Oh, my God! Well, it's like, touch wow. down, deeper, wow. deeper. He's wow. a goner. Wow. He's a goner. Yeah. Like further down yeah. and down and down, further down. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, and I was invited to attend a... a Oh, were you? Uh, a, a festive occasion. Right. Yeah. Uh, a sacrifice? <laughs> no, a festive occasion within the, within the family. And uh, none of them are, are vaxxed. None. No. No, no, okay. no, no. None no. of them are vaxxed. Will you be coming? I said, no, no, yeah. no, no. Is shit and piss soup on the menu? No, but no, but no. He's, no, 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 that's no, no, those are the Democrats. Oh, no, no, right, no, right, okay. That, that menu, right. that's oh, the that, Democrats. Right, menu. okay. Yeah, that, gotcha. that's the left-wing menu. Right, yeah. got you. Because when you, Ted and I were talking about this last night, when you hosted uh, the talk show, you were, I would say, right of center and yeah. and open to both sides, Right. right, why you were you could be convinced on an of, Abs- on an argument? Some things on the left, some on yeah, the right. Absolutely. absolutely, yeah. What happened to that? Well, 
first of all, now being I was slightly right of center. Now I'm considered uh, a communist. Yes, because of course everything you disagree with is one of two things: right. Nazi, communist. Right, right. Everything is Nazi or communist. Right. It's one of, one of the two. Right. right. No matter no matter what. So uh, I, everybody keeps telling me that Canada is a. Uh, these are never mind. These are not my cousins. These are neighbors uh, living in in the uh, poverty stricken. Um, area of Montreal, Hampstead, uh, mm. uh, right? And, and they're saying, oh, it's terrible here. It's, it's just like communism. Yes. I said, yeah, you're right. I said, somebody came in the middle of the night and, you know, Dave, again, right. we use a, a pseudonym, Dave was arrested in the middle of the night and you don't know, you don't know when he's coming home. I said, no, oh, no, that didn't happen. Was, well, then it's not communism. It's not communism. Uh, the, your, your husband's paycheck, did he get to cash it? Yeah, not communism. Right. I said, why don't you, here's something fun. Why don't you look up communism? Right. Even if it's on Wikipedia, right. look it up somewhere. Right. right. And, and they're telling this to a man who was snuck out of a communist country <laughs> right. in the trunk of a car. Yes, yes. This is communist. It's communism. <laughs> right. That, that, that's the other stunning thing is, you know, your, your, your parents had the, the experience of the Holocaust and then had to escape a communist country. Right. So, so they saw Nazism. Yes. Right. With genuine Nazis, yes. communism with real communists. Yes. So they understood that Canada is an absolute paradise. Right. When they'd call her up, uh, the census would call up mom uh, and ask her some questions. Uh, what's your nationality? Canadian. I know, but what kind of Canadian? She says, Canadian, Canadian. <laughs> right. Right? And right. She was like so proud. And like right. in terms of... Uh, what an incredible country this is in terms of uh, the potential you have, uh, et cetera. And, and so uh, I think we've gone from thinking that a politician has done something that's wrong and stupid, which yes. they have since yes. the dawn of time, time and they will right. continue to do, that that makes them uh, mass mass murderers. The second they do anything you disagree with, now they're a mass murderer. No, right. they might be a complete incompetent moron. Right. But they're not guilty of, of mass murder. They don't eat children. They, they're not right. rapists. Like, they're, they're not all of these things. Let's, um, let's talk about, because you, Tommy and I have had dinner on, on countless occasions, and uh, Tommy gave me the appreciation of a good martini. Oh, yes. A real good martini. And one day I got it. I think it was a text. It was either a text or an email from you telling me about a particular bartender at a particular bar in Venice, and I can I can see your lips moisten as <laughs> yeah, I speak. I but you, you know what? That brings back such a memory. Terry, I spent the entire week thinking, Terry's going to love this because I'm actually going to speak to the bartender, Bruno, and put him on the air with, with Terry, right? Like and this is a bartender in Venice. This yes. is a bartender in uh, a bar called uh, the Oriental Bar at the Metropole Hotel in, in Venice. And first I'm going to tell you how they make the uh, martini, right? Uh, you want a martini? Uh, I'd like a martini, please, with, with olives. So, uh, okay, so in some places, some of the local places, they'll pour some vodka into a glass and throw an olive at you. And then there's your martini over here. They roll over a wooden, there's a wooden wagon that comes over. On the wagon is brass. There's a brass magnifying glass. Behind the magnifying glass is a beautiful tray full of lemons, right? Uh, they take a chilled glass, uh, right? 
um, mm. and uh, of that they put on the table. Then um, they pour the the vodka into the glass. Now, uh, and they're going to put some lemon. They use a blade, get some of the lemon shavings off, put that in. But what about the vermouth, right? Now, on this table is a golden perfume snifter, right? In this golden glass perfume snifter is vermouth. <laughs> so what the guy does, he takes this perfume snifter, puts it over your glass and squeezes it so a few droplets of the vermouth <laughs> float onto the top of your martini. This production takes five minutes to behold, right? And it is a knockout martini. Now, I loved it, right? I, and so I had, had another one, etc. And then as Bruno's walking by, I said, oh, Bruno, it looks so beautiful when you did it. But now, you know, I'm looking at this empty glass. Um, it doesn't look so nice. Uh, could, uh, should I have another one? And he says, yes. So I have the third one. Having three of these martinis is a very, very bad idea. <laughs> Walking home at 1231 in the morning in Venice, trying to get on to a Vaporetto that's going up and down and up and down. But you are also going up and down, but not in the same direction. Uh, it was, and, and I, I got so, uh, I was so out of it and I got so tired. I insisted on getting on a Vaporetto that was going in the wrong direction. So instead of three stops, it was an hour and a half, oh right? God. When I think the person who drives the Vaporetto had to, wake me up and said, now I really did have to get off at, the, at this stop. So Which, Evaporetto was like, that's the gondola in the canal? Is that what no, that is? No, it's, it's like a water or? taxi. It's a water, yeah, okay. big, big yeah. water taxi. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. like a water and bus, so I was actually. At, yeah. A water bus, yeah. yes. And I was yeah. at the wrong, yeah. like at the wrong place. You, but anyway, this, I mean, this. Yeah. And the bar is magnificent. Yeah. You fell in love with Venice, Yes, eh? but you know what happened? You know, I'm, I'm still in a rage about it. Bruno was not there. Yes. There, there, there was another guy there. We we're going to speak to the other guy. And then the connection goes bad. Yeah. We, it we, it, it we was, wanted to tell the story on the radio. Yes. Yeah. And I, could, I, could never tell, I couldn't tell this story. I, yeah. And, I, and, and I've, I've told him. I've told Terry about Bruno. I've told Bruno about Terry. Like, <laughs> I, I've been working. I spent a week just in can't Venice get it together. Working, <laughs> on, work, working on this. Didn't have Venice is just beyond. Yeah. You, you fell in love with Venice. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean, and you get, when you get on the, the ship, the... the water bus yeah and you're looking at the left right you don't believe it like yeah. on the right you, yeah you have to do it many many times because you can't believe that everything is so there's un un unspeakably beautiful in every direction there's something so special about italy it really is i mean you could try you know we've both traveled and been lucky enough to travel but boy there's something special about that country yeah, and it's all so different, by yeah. the way. Like Venice, Regions, obviously, yeah. with all the water and right. the Grand Canal. Rome is, you know, like it's an amazing city. They're the historic part. And, you know, and, we, we, and then, then we went to, to Naples. They say Rome is the heart of Italy. Uh, Naples is the soul. And so we went through different parts of Naples, which can be quite iffy in, yep. in, in some areas. And then we went to an area called Posillipo. Like, so you have the view of the entire Bay of Naples, all of the buildings, and Mount Vesuvius, yes. and the water in the distance. And the guide, it's one of those you know, things you stick in your ear, one of those double red buses. Yes. You put the guide thing in your ear and listen to her blather on. <laughs> about what's on the right and the left and and they're so smart Italy. You, she, they do that the blather for three minutes and then there's silence they give you quite a bit of silence then she blathers a little more and then more silence like they know that there's so much to see you don't want to listen to that all is that. smart yeah that yeah. is smart yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. just a little touch here a few touches here on your left on your left and she says oh, over there that's where Virgil wrote his uh, poetry Virgil what po he wrote poetry here two thousand years ago. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing. So it was beautiful, it, stunning, stunning. It, so you you'll go back to traveling if, yes, if we yes, get we get yeah. back there. But in the meantime, are you really because I I consider you you know like Woody Allen a city mouse, right? You know you know how Woody yeah, Allen yeah. always made fun of you know you're not much of a country guy, right? You don't like to spend the weekend. Well, let's define country. Okay. Okay. Now, most people define country as like a cabin in the woods. Or camping. You're not oh, going oh, camping. No, oh, no, no. Everything has to have a lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. But there must be a lobby. No, no, no. Of course not. No, no. Camping. Never mind. You're way past with camping in the woods. If there's a house with all of the accoutrement, all of the luxuries, etc., but it's down a dark road that looks like Stephen King was here writing mm-hmm. something, uh, no. I, You're no. out. When I, I like a country place that's on the... A little town on the Rue Principale right. of, of the little town. Gotcha. Now, it's a small town. Rue Principale, you know, is not Fifth Avenue, but it's still Rue Principale. Right. That, that right. sounds like a pretty good compromise yeah. to me. Yes, yeah. yes. In other words, there's still a little. You, you know, can walk action. to the boulangerie. Yes, you you're guys. in the you're in the country. You're yeah. just in the middle right. of, of right. what's happening in the country. Right. Yeah, Ex- exactly. Like, right. and also that's very good because no, people who love the country don't, they don't want to. Ha- oh, oh, oh no, that's too city. That's too right. no no. They want something. Deep Deeper, further and further uh, away. So that's why I, I like it. We have to give Tommy a break and tell people about the Mersons, Ted. You told me a great story about Mark Merson today, and it yes. kind of became a signature line for the commercials that we've done for the Mersons yes. over the years. When Mark said to you one day, just tell them they can, if they got a problem, they can find me at the counter. Yep. Uh, one of the great things about dealing with family businesses, and I was saying this on another podcast, we like to speak for family businesses because, as Mark did say one time, just tell people I don't have to write a letter to head office. I'm in the back uh, and usually working on the floor when uh, Mark and Bonnie were running the Mersons. And that's the, the joy of it. A family runs the business. A family has the pride. A family has the, you know, the ability to make the decisions, to make things right if anything goes wrong, and it doesn't. And I found the Mersons the way you did. I don't know shit from Shinola when it comes to a car. I, you know, I, I, I can replace the windshield washer, but if the uh, Gorflibbits uh, is gone, oh, the Gorflibbits. Uh, they're very expensive. I've been, you know, you've been told by, you know, dishonorable people. The Mersons don't do that. They tell you, look, your front brakes are fine. You don't need to change those. You may have to change the back brakes in the fall, but you're fine. We'll change your oil. It's, it's all about the honesty and the service. That's why generations of Montrealers have been coming back to the Mersons for years. And that's why they're a third-generation family business. And at some point, they'll be a fourth-generation family business because Celso and Kara have uh, two boys who probably, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I, you know, I don't see it going any other way, really. And another great thing about, uh, about being involved in a, or speaking for a, a family-run business and, and becoming not just business associates but friends with them is I got invited to Seder at the Mersons one year. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. nice. Great yeah. experience. Really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, people that you can trust, lots of tires for sale, and they can handle anything uh, with your car. Merson Auto. Dot com. Tommy, is there another book coming? No. No, no there is no. no did you enough. did you yeah. not enjoy that process? Uh, no, I, I don't you like did, writing. Yeah. I like having written. Having written? Yeah, I okay. like having written. Uh, no. Speaking, I, 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 speaking though, you're, it's, it's such a great speech. You know, I've, I've considered it a, an honor that, you know, I can, I don't have to pay to see you. I can have dinner with you. 
Um, and it must that that must be something you enjoy doing, don't you? I love the, oh the presentations, yeah, the presentations, yes. the live yes. live audiences. Right, and, I have a special presentation I do about the book that I've done for uh, you know audiences large and small, like you know uh, church groups, uh, synagogues, even um, book clubs, and I love doing it. It's it's like a set presentation with sort of set right. pieces in it, and I'm very excited because uh, I booked something in in Phoenix, um, Arizona, and uh, where instead of for the hour of me doing my presentation for 45 minutes and then questions and answers at the end of it, um, they're just going to it's just going to be an interview. Great, which is but, you, but you don't you, have to do anything. I don't, exactly, that's how <laughs> I feel about it. Uh, I don't I don't have to do anything, and it's quite intriguing the way this was set up. Um, I heard this lady whose grandfather was a Nazi who'd written a book on the subject, and she was interviewed by this group in Phoenix. So I wrote to them and said, I really enjoyed that presentation by that lady and the book she'd written. Uh, if you're interested, I'd like to do a presentation for you. So um, they, they check up on me. They, they have friends they know in Montreal, so they call three friends in Montreal to ask if I'm kosher. In other words, if I'm okay. <laughs> so I get very nice, you know, I get rave reviews from the right. three, so that's very nice. Still not over it. Then her friend calls me, and she wants to ask me, she's about, she says, what did you mean, uh, you know, when you said, uh, uh, Emma Grace has saved your mother's life. She didn't save her life. You know, Mengele didn't save her life. And I said, honey, whose mother is it? <laughs> Yours or mine? Her story, her story. My story, my story. I don't know what your mother did, or what you, and I wouldn't presume to tell you what she did. I said, what are you questioning? Are, are you wondering if I'm pro Irmak Reza? Is that, why, why don't you read the book? So anyway, anyway now we're, we're fine. We're okay, right. and we're friendly. But for, she was like suspicious that because of that phraseology, right? My mother, she saved her life. That right. doesn't mean she thought she was here. She thought she was, my mother told me that Irma was a, a mass murderer. Right. She saw, she saw, witnessed her killing people. But in terms of that, that this situation helped save her life was a fact that it's her story. So I thought that was very strange that they, you know. Yeah. But it shows just the, the paranoia because, and I understand it because somebody wanted to interview me about, about her, Right. And I, I wanted to know a lot about them, too. I wanted to know, why, right. why do you want to know about that? Like, who yeah. are you? What, yeah. What's the purpose of this? What are you doing this for? So I uh, understand it. But I love doing those personal presentations. Do you, do you think there's a bold, there's, I, I find there's more of a boldness to people now. People will say things to, to you and question you that they, they wouldn't have done 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree. I there's, agree. There's been a tilt in society. There's, you there's know, nasty. nasty. And, and I also think that you can't go through the stress of a two-year pandemic, which whatever position you are in it, some people had it easier than, than yeah. others. Some people had to worry about their livelihood. Uh, some people had got very sick, right? Relatives who died, some didn't. Like, had, it had different impact on different people. But it stressed everybody. Yeah. Nobody got through the no. last two years saying, no. well, what a lovely, dude. these mm. two years have been quite a breeze, <laughs> yeah, this, eh? This, uh, this has been a, 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 a picnic. Re, no. Remember, right, so, and we're all in this together. Right, right? So, yeah. so in other words, remember like, that? after, like, and also going through sort of tough times for a week, a couple of weeks, yeah. right, a couple of months, yeah, it, yeah, it makes you resilient, etc. But when it was going on to, into the second year, people are stressed out 
Like yeah. it, it's like uh, PTSD. And yeah. Both, like it, it's traumatic to, for, for something to go on so long. We had the ice storm. That was very traumatic, but it was a few yeah. weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. And it wasn't all over the world. It didn't no. encompass every, everything. It, it somehow th- this encompassed everything. So I think that it had an impact on uh, humanity and we're like more on edge. We're well, more nervous and more on edge. I, I can't imagine being on the radio today. You You can't. You can't say anything publicly without being crucified for something. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a pointed question for you. Does the English community survive in Montreal? Yeah, I think it'll... it'll um, it, I think it will survive. It depends what, what you mean. Uh, in terms of, will a lot of the people stay here? Yes. Uh, will they speak English? Yes. Most of the younger generation of Anglophones is perfectly bilingual i don't think we'll ever lose our english no right and that we'll forget how to speak english i don't think that's going to happen not our generation and not our no. children's or grandchildren's generation so i think it's uh far, and i think it's far less of an issue people were warning me oh you're going into the quebec uh, countryside oh they don't like uh they don't no, like, i don't, bl- they don't, I don't buy it. oh they don't like uh, they don't like anglos over there they don't yeah. like jews over there either like, what? What? And I didn't find that. Uh, and no. I'm hypersensitive. Yeah. Uh, you have good de- yeah. Nothing. Nothing. People are nice and friendly wherever. I People went. generally are nice yes, and friendly. friendly. Yeah. 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 I like to. I I, I have to. I'm going to say hi to one more sponsor. Um, I'm going to ask you to tell the chewing gum story. Okay. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite stories. I, I quickly want to thank uh, our friends at Matla Bonner. Uh, they're a mattress company, but they're they're much more than that because they're a family. Again, it's a family run business, and there are lots of places you can buy mattresses. You know, you, there's a lot of places you can go into. You go around the washing machines and the lazy boys, and you lie around on a mattress until somebody comes to see you and ask you what you're doing. But at Matla Bonheur, you get welcomed uh, as soon as you walk through the door. There's always somebody to welcome you at the uh, any of the 18 locations. And you'll be warmly welcomed and asked what you're looking for. You'll never be pressured. You can flop around on as many mattresses as you like. Uh, you can go in there and just get a, a really, really good pillow. You can go there and get new linens. Um, you can go there and find a mattress to fit Uh, your budget whether your kids are going to college or you're moving or it's time for a new mattress because you've been sleeping on the same old mattress for a very long time i did that i was on a mattress for about four years longer than i should have been and uh they um they're, they're so up on the technology of mattresses and sleep and there is sleep technology believe it or not um, and they'll, they'll be able to guide you through it. They're, they're really I'd like to be a sleep that. technologist. Where do you yeah, sign where, up yeah, for that? Yeah, where do you <laughs> sign up for that job? Yeah. Well, time to go to work. <laughs> Matt Labonor have grown to 18 locations in and around the uh, greater Montreal area. You can visit them online, matlabonheur.ca. I don't know why, you, you know, the, your mother's stories, Tommy, are, have always... They've, they've just stuck with me and you know everything all of them have been um they're so wildly entertaining her love of Liz Taylor and you know all of the the things that she used to do when you were younger but the chewing gum story always stuck with me and I'd like you to tell that story uh, yes uh, when I it, this is when I came to um Montreal for the first time I didn't speak a word of uh <coughs> sorry can, I didn't, can I, I, sorry I'm uh, sorry to interrupt we should tell tell people quickly, or as slowly as you want to, about your escape. 
I mean, that's that's a harrowing tale. Yes, yes. Uh, I was like uh, five years old, and mom says we're going on an adventure. Uh, and you're living in Hungary at the time, in, which in is Budapest. behind the Iron Curtain. Right. We're living in a, in a tiny little apartment in the center of Budapest. Uh, and uh, mom wakes me up in the middle of the night and says we're going on an ad- adventure, which I thought was unusual, it being in the middle of the night. We'd never gone on an adventure in the day, never mind <laughs> at, at night. Uh, and she says I can bring... Um, uh, one one toy. No, I, I, I should bring some toys that I like. So I, there's two that I like. I really like this mandolin, and I really like this wooden streetcar. And then uh, after conferring with my father, they come to the conclusion um, that uh, that's too much to carry. We're going to take uh, only what's very, very valuable. And uh, since uh, Canada's paved with gold, there's no point in bringing any gold or silver because that's on the street here so dad decides that what uh is very valuable in, in hungary at the time must be very valuable in, in montreal as well which is fake plastic <laughs> a roll of fl- f- fake plastic okay right so just yeah. think of a roll yeah. of material right? yeah. so he's bringing that so i can't bring two toys i can only bring one toy so the wooden streetcar doesn't do anything uh, so i bring the mandolin so uh, we get into a car um for some reason in the car, usually I sit in, in a seat, but this time I was in the trunk of the car for this uh, adventure, and I had to keep quiet in the trunk. They drive, uh, I don't know where they're driving, but they're driving somewhere. We get out, and then we're walking through a mu- like a, a muddy field where uh, this guy, Jula, who is our guide, uh, um, had spent most of the day planting mines in, in this field. Uh, between Austria, between Hungary and Austria, uh, near the border, and as a sideline uh, in the evening, he would ask people to pay him to guide them through. To, to because escape. he knows where the mines he knows where are where the not. Mines are so <laughs> he knows where you can walk. So we're following Jula, and um, and there's Russian soldiers all over the place, and I decide I have my mantle and I'm going to strum a little, a few notes. Uh, Jula is not. Not pleased <laughs> with, with this, and takes the um, mandolin, smashes it over the back of my head. Uh, I pass out. I'm carried the rest of the way. Uh, right, M- my father has to pay whatever money he had uh, for somebody to to, uh, to carry me because he's got this big pl- roll of fake plastic that he's not about <laughs> to give up on. And uh, a third of the way through, Jula says that he's feeling tired and he doesn't want to continue. Uh, so everybody convinces him he has to, and we give him more money so uh, jula is less tired now and and uh we continue going a little further and once again just within eyesight of the of austria again he's exhausted Mm -hmm. fatigue once again sets in we have to give him every penny like every every all the people in that group small group had to give him every last cent uh so we arrived with a, a broken mandolin uh, and a roll of uh, plastic. plastic. So that's how we escaped across um, the border. Uh, my mother, right, f- fell in one of the areas where there was barbed wire. So she was bleeding, and a doctor, as soon as they got over where the Austrians were and they had people treating refugees, they, they helped treat her and give her antibiotics. So she's just crossed the border like that. She's got a serious wound from barbed wire on her leg, and her um, uh, uh, brother-in-law, who paid for this entire operation, right, for us to escape, um, 
had booked us into the Hotel Schönbrunn in, in the heart of uh, Vienna. So there's music. So mom hears the music and doesn't want to lie in bed. She wants to go downstairs and hear the music. And when her favorite song comes on, right, she wants to dance. This is like hours after the, the wound on the leg because it's such beautiful music, you understand? And what happens while we're at the Hotel Schönbrunn is uh, she loses her, um, uh, her, her brother-in-law, buys her a, a beautiful um, red leather uh, purse, Right. And she's very proud of this purse, but she loves it. Right. And then we stayed there for a few days before we took a plane to Moncton and uh, I- Iceland, Greenland, Moncton, and then Montreal. So by this purse, I went back to Hungary about 20, uh, about 20 years ago. And my mother says, go ask the Schönbrum if they found the purse. <laughs> I said, I, I-, I think uh, 39 years Later, mom, I don't ask anyway, and they didn't. Have, they did not have the person. Anyway, so that's so we get to Montreal, right? Uh, so I don't speak any English, right? And the first day of school, uh, the teacher's talking, Miss Wadman. I remember her to this day, and and everybody has pencil and they have paper, and Miss um, Wadman is uh, talking and they're listening and they're writing something. I don't know what they're. I don't understand what she's saying. I don't know what they're writing. So I look next to me, and I see this girl there, and she's writing M-A-R-I-E. So I don't know what that is, so I'll, also, I'll do the same thing. M-A-R-I-E. I write that on my piece of paper and hand it in. So there are two pieces of paper that were handed in by Marie, and <laughs> my, mine, was, was, mine was not there. Um, <laughs> Again, this was at Bancroft School, right. uh, which uh, on right near, uh, Beauties, uh, which we called Bancroft Snack Bar at the time on St. Urban and Mount Royal, and um, uh, yeah, I didn't have too many friends at recess, etc. And I, I saw um, kids uh, chewing gum. Right, I didn't know what what that was, and then we're walking down the street, and I, and, um, and I see something pink on the on the ground. And I said, the chewing is pink. I said, it grows. It grows on the ground here in Canada. So I picked up a piece of gum mm-hmm. from the floor, picked it up, yeah, and started uh, <laughs> uh, chewing it. And then I would do this on a regular basis. On the way to school, I'd see if there was any gum on the floor and pick it up and uh, chew it until one day mom was taking me uh, to school. Right. A- and I stopped. I said, oh, there's a nice piece. And <laughs> she said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? And then she explains everything to me and buys me a pack of Wrigley's or whatever. I said, this is much sweeter than the... <laughs> this is much sweeter than the, the stuff on... Than the gum, gum that grows. The, the, the grown gum isn't nearly as good. Now, uh, uh, one last quick story about the... the uh, when Miss Wadman, one day I forgot my lunch and I was, I was crying and she was very upset. She said, let me take you uh, to... Um, to the to beauties, it wasn't called beauties then, yeah. Bancroft Snack Bar. So we get there, she said, would you like a hot dog? So I'm thinking, well, it can't be. It's obviously not a, a dog. Like even in Canada, they're not cooking right. dogs. It's not, a, like, it's not like a hot dog. It's probably the name of a, of a candy. Must be the name of a candy, like a funny name for a candy. I said, yes, I like a hot dog. So she orders it and the hot dog arrives. Now I see what it is. Now it's meat and it, it's not kosher. If I eat it, I'll die. Right, I'm six years old eating gum from the street. What do I do? Right, <laughs> right? So, so, 
so I, I don't know what to do. I ask her what that is on the ceiling, and while she's looking up there, I throw it on the floor. And she <laughs> asked me if I'm still hungry. Uh, I said, no, no, no. So anyway, that's part of my indoctrination, how I got to learn uh, to speak uh, English. And it's very interesting. Um, my father wanted to send me to a yeshiva, uh, a Jewish school right away, and my mother said no. He says, first he's going to go to a regular school where he's going to learn English until he speaks it perfectly. Then you can send him to it. Right. And that's exactly what I did. Well, and I, I think I learned English pretty well. I it, ended up uh, doing pretty well with English. It's I think your stories, especially in light of what goes on today, are a stunning example of, of uh, I mean, the roads aren't paved with gold, and we don't need a roll of plastic, but <laughs> it, it's a pretty damn good country, and yeah. it's created quite a life for all of us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's it, not communist. No, no, and, and can't remember of, a minefield in anywhere. And also, m mom and dad had no connections yeah. of any kind right. for anything I've ever done in in my. Oh yes, yes, that's not exactly true. Dad did have a connection for my very first job, which was working for a dollar twenty five an hour at right. Tornado Plastics, about a block from where we're recording this. Right, and um, I worked there for two days. And uh, on a plastics assembly line, right. and every now I didn't know what to do exactly, and it would break down. And I was the hero of all the Greek ladies on the uh, assembly line, because when the machine broke down for two hours, they could have a, a break. Um, Mom, uh, who forced my father to get me this job, uh, told me that I had to quit on day three because no son of hers was getting up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Which is why I always had the greatest admiration for you guys who did, in fact, get up much earlier than 5.30. One of the, one of the worst things about working with uh, morning men, yeah. I can tell you, is you can never complain to them about no. getting up at 5, 30, 6, yeah. not, 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 you can't say you, a word, you can't say a word yeah. to them about it. You weren't a fan of it, though, either. Eh? I mean, I, was ne I loved every minute of every year that I hosted morning shows. Damn it, I loathe that alarm clock. First of all, I, I, lo I can't even imagine what you went through. I loathed it at, at you know, at 7.30. 7 o'clock, yeah. 7.30. Yeah. I had a mic installed in my house after a while. I don't yeah. have to do this. Enough of this. But no, I don't know how you did it. That's well, listen, amazing. an alarm clock is shitty no matter what time it yeah. goes off. It's yeah. no more fun at 7.30 than it is at 3.30. Uh, I would venture to say an alarm clock at 3.30 is shittier than an alarm you think? clock. You yeah. think, <laughs> yeah? Yes, I think, yeah, yeah. Am I right? Yes. What do you think? There, I, there's I more pain. There's, yeah, more, there's pain. more pain at 3.30. I don't know why, but there. It I think the pain just lasts longer yeah, at three yeah. thirty for me, anyway. Tommy, you've been so generous. I don't know how long we've been talking, and I could probably two hours. I think. Really? I think this Whoa. is the this, this is by be, far the longest yeah, episode we've done. Longest episode. Yeah. Wow! But worth but every worth every minute. Went so yeah. Quickly, yeah, every single minute. It's it so. You know I love you to death as a good friend, a person, broadcaster. Uh, just, I'm just so excited you said yes, and I'm so excited to see you. I can't it was great chatting with thank you. Well, can't think, thank you enough. I think my favorite moment and biggest takeaway from this two hours is that Tommy's father was not the quarry type. <laughs> <laughs> We should say thanks to our title sponsor. Jaguar Land Rover Laval. JaguarLaval.ca, LandRoverLaval.ca. Yeah, and uh, our other sponsors, the Mersons, UPS Store Canada, Matt Bonheur, and, of course, Poseidon. You're a very Gentlemen. patient man. Thank you. Oh, don't worry about it. I do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs>
Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval, where the luxury is unmistakably British, but nobody wears a top hat or a monocle. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.